Welcome into the EMA Online pregame podcast. I'm Mason Voth, flying solo today as uh, we give Alec Bussey his travel day to get back from Indianapolis and get ready to get back in the car and head south for the Big 12 championship as K-State gets ready to face TCU. The Cats and the Frogs get here via a route that uh, probably a lot of people wouldn't have seen, at least for TCU at the start of the season, them being unbeaten. And they ultimately, uh, after a, a lot of close games, they blasted through Iowa State. But once these teams met up in the uh, middle of the season, that game in late October in Fort Worth, it did start to appear that K-State and TCU were in the driver's seat to play in the Big 12 championship game. And to both teams' credits, they were able to come through and take care of business and get here. Obviously, TCU did it with an unblemished record. For K-State, they only had one more slip-up uh, after the TCU game, and it came in a game that they easily could have won against Texas if it wasn't for falling behind in the first half and then a turnover at the very end of the game. But they took care of business against everybody else the Cats did. And that's a really impressive and important thing to do because it's not like that's been done a lot of times over the last however many years in the Big 12. Ever since they went to this format that they have now where it's everybody plays everybody, the 10 teams, it's been really tough to get multiple teams uh, into the championship game and have them seem to be so untouchable throughout the course of the season. The fact that K-State's losses come to the first and third teams in the league and they're the second best team, uh, I think says a lot about them, that they were able to show up and beat the team that you're supposed to beat. I always talk about this, whether it was when I was on radio or even now, the best mark of a team that I think is just, you know, at, at its core going to be a good team and, and has the ceiling to rise even higher is the team that beats the teams that they are supposed to beat. Because too many times we see teams not do that. I mean, um, if you think about where K-State basketball is coming from right now, they've done a good job, even though they lost last night to Butler, they've done a good job about beating teams that they are supposed to beat. Um, that's not something that was happening over the last three years when Bruce Weber was in the house. So that's an encouraging step in the right direction for K-State. And it's going to be a really important thing to monitor moving forward. For this game, though, specifically, we have all the talking points that came out of the first game and what it means for K-State and what it means for TCU uh, as you get these two teams that have just put together really good seasons for themselves. We know how it started. K-State fell behind, but ultimately Will Howard gets in the game, lights up the TCU defense. It, it goes really well for Will Howard to pretty much everybody's surprise on how it ended up working out. And it looks like K-State is going to have this unbelievable game where you just kind of sit there and shake your head like I, I don't know what I'm watching but it's awesome type of game in Fort Worth and then TCU gets a touchdown right before halftime 20 seconds left in the first half and then they come out and they score to start uh, the the second half as well so at that point TCU's 28 to 10 deficit has already been cut to 28 24 and you still have basically 25 minutes of action left ahead of you well, K-State on the drive to try and answer the Horned Frogs, things do not go the way that they would have liked. They get into a decent situation. Um, they get inside the red zone of TCU, and they come up short on third down. Will Howard gets hurt on the play, and it's a fourth and short situation coming up. K-State decides to kick a 44-yard field goal with Chris Tennant. Tennant misses the kick. It would have given K-State a touchdown lead. TCU goes, scores on the next drive. And the next two possessions, K-State has to send Jake Rubley out there into his first real in-the-fire action, and it did not go well. 
throws an interception, and then ends up failing a fourth and short quarterback sneak later in the game, which is probably good evidence to why Chris Kleiman did not want to attempt it the first time around with him. So that's basically the story there. It it feels like K-State gets cheated out of a win uh, in Fort Worth. You feel like even though the Horned Frogs had the momentum, if Will Howard would have been able to stay healthy or if Adrian Martinez had been healthy in that game, it seems like K-State would have won. And I think most people walked out of that building, Amon G. Carter Stadium, on that Saturday night in October saying to themselves, all right, if we get TCU again, we can beat TCU. I mean, think of all of the things that went wrong. It wasn't just the fact that it was the quarterback situation that knocked K-State out. Adrian Martinez went down. Will Howard goes down. But you also have – Deuce Vaughn, that had to go get attention for a little bit. He was limited in the game. Felix Anyadike Uzama was limited in the game. And then Josh Hayes and Julius Brents all go down. Khalid Duke got knocked out of the game for targeting uh, in, in the early going. So there was all this that was going into the game and kind of a, a crazy way for things to play out for K-State that they were going to have to try and find some way to overcome. Ultimately, they weren't because it just stacked up so much on them. But a lot of good did come out of that game. It was obviously the rebirth of Will Howard as a quarterback at K-State. Gave everybody the confidence that uh, when he took the field the next week against Oklahoma State, that maybe they'd have a chance. And they got way more than a chance in that game after Will Howard just throttled the Cowboys. So that was good. Um, Ultimately, some of the struggles that came out of that game led to the discovery that Ty Zentner is Mr. Automatic for the Wildcats. He has done a perfect job, whether it's been punting, kicking off, or kicking field goals now this year for K-State. So that's a positive that ultimately came out of the game after there was a lot of wishy-washiness on on Chris Tennant at the start of the season. K-State found their kicker after that game. So it was a loss, but very similar to the Tulane loss. I think it was one that gave K-State a good idea of what some of their flaws and weaknesses were. They were able to bounce back. And they were pretty much clean the rest of the way. I mean, the Texas game had some weirdness to it. um, But that was another one where they lost a a key player early in Julius Brents. And Julius Brents went down uh, in the TCU game as well. He got hurt on the play uh, that Quentin Johnston burned K-State for a deep touchdown in the second half. But he missed that Texas game, most of it, after he gets called for a questionable targeting targeting penalty. And K-State had to kind of scramble. They fall behind. And Adrian Martinez played a great game. Unfortunately, he didn't get the pass protection he needed at the end. And uh, Texas ultimately forced the critical fumble that really hadn't come all year and you didn't think it was going to happen. But the losses that were sustained, I I think against Tulane and TCU, set things up in a really nice spot for K-State to kind of reset, realize, hey, we're vulnerable, but we like a lot that there is there about our team. We just got to clean this and this and this up. And by doing that, K-State found themselves in a situation where they got to go 9-3 and three this season, 7-2 and two in the Big 12. It's not a fluke the way that they did it. Um, they really took control of every game they were in this year. Um, outside of the Texas game, K-State had moments in those games where you could be of the belief that they were going to win. They were going to, to make that lead stand up, and unfortunately, um, they didn't. But doesn't hurt them in the end. They're where they ultimately wanted to be. It's maybe in a different way than what some people would have thought. Maybe earlier in the season, you think, eh, they probably beat Tulane, go 3-0 in the non-conference. They may still finish 9-3, and but it worked out even better. And so we'll see what this looks like against the Horned Frogs on Saturday. TCU has, has had some good luck this season. There's no doubt about that. Uh, when other teams have missed true key guys, them and Iowa State are the only two teams that didn't really have a quarterback deal with an injury that kept them out of significant time. 
Iowa State maybe hoping that they would have had an injury that would have uh, kept Hunter Deckers uh, out for a little bit to see maybe if anybody else could have played quarterback for him. Um, unfair shot at Hunter Deckers. I'm sorry. Um, but Max Duggan was able to stay healthy. He wins the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Much deserved for him. Uh, a lot of good credit needs to go his way for sticking it out and going through everything that he did at TCU. I think everybody knew that there was some talent there, but it was a matter of the opportunity and seeing if he could put it into good use. And he did this season, and he did it as a really good passer. Um, he was able to, to make all the plays that TCU needed him to, had some big moments, was a gritty performer, and uh, it was really impressive to see what came out of it. So we'll have to see now what K-State can do going up against this TCU team. They've got the best quarterback in the conference, and they also have one of the best running backs in the league at this point now. And that's a significant deal to have a guy in Kendra Miller that has started to uh, ride and, and do all these great things. I, it, it's impressive what he has been able to do. So they've got that. We know about Quentin Johnston, and they've found ways elsewhere to make their plays and make their hay. A um, couple of things to keep in mind going into this game. And uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, go over to EMA online and, and you can check out my what to watch for for Saturday's game. Just gives you a little bit more insight uh, into what I'm thinking. And, and there are four things that I identify each week before a K-State football game that I think are something that you should keep your eye on. Now, sometimes they are goofy or ridiculous things, whatever. Um, but as the season has gotten deeper and deeper on, we know teams better. We understand kind of what needs to be done. And so they, they become things that are a little bit more critical to the actual outcome of the game. The number one thing, and I've been harping on this now a lot, I sound like a broken record, um, but like, let's be honest here. I think I sound smart when I say it, and I do actually think that it matters, and it's something that concerns me uh, watching the game, not only just you know, for my pleasure of watching a football game, but as much as you know, we're supposed to be neutral in all of this, uh, I can't erase the fact that I graduated from Kansas State University, and I want to see K-State succeed and do well. So there is that part of me still that, that breaks on the inside when it's like, oh, man. Well, let's not give up 21 points in the first half, you know? Um, but that's exactly what K-State's been doing. In the last three games where K-State has been at without a key member of their defense, so the Texas game where Julius Brents goes down early, Kobe Savage is out to start the game against West Virginia, and then Sincere Mason goes down as well. But those guys were both out for West Virginia and Kansas, basically. K-State's giving up 25.7 points per first half in those three games, and almost – 270 yards in the first half on average in those three games. It's so important for K-State to try and limit how successful TCU can be because we know that they have big play potential. They can score like crazy, and they did a really good job against TCU the first time around in limiting what they were able to do on the offensive side of the ball in the first half. I mean, they only had 10 points up until the final 30 seconds of the half, and, and so that's, I think, a big deal to watch out for and for K-State to lock down, not have to play from behind, because that's the one thing we saw against Kansas and West Virginia, two teams that K-State was better than. They were able to overcome it because their offense just kept scoring and scoring and scoring because they were better than those teams. But against Texas, they fell into a giant hole. I think 31-10 to 10 was the halftime score, and they were having to work back from that. They had a chance. They almost did it, but ultimately it wasn't enough. So I, I think it's going to be important in this game for K-State to find – that defense and find a way to get things to kind of come back into view for them and, and whatever they can do. 
And I, I laid out some of the ways in, in which that they could maybe um, do some of that when it comes down to pressuring the quarterback. That's going to be another important thing in this game. Uh, K-State did a really good job of giving Will Howard time in the first meeting with TCU. It was one of K-State's best pass-blocking games of the season. If you go look at uh, the pro football focus numbers, the only other game, surprisingly, that was K-State's best from a pass-blocking standpoint was the two-lane game, which may blow your mind, but that was still when Adrian Martinez was checking the ball down, wasn't really letting it fly, um, but got good protection there, and Will Howard was protected really well, and he carved up the TCU defense. And, you know, nobody thinks of TCU as a defensive power, but TCU can make some plays there, and anybody can make you pay in this league. But TCU didn't get any sacks on Will Howard. The The pressure that came at him um, wasn't as much as it has been at other points this year, and he did a really good job when he had time. And that was kind of that that start in that second game where I felt like, the receivers for K-State started stepping up and making a ton of plays. I mean, Malik Knowles, Caden Warner, Phillip Brooks have made big catches in that stretch since then. And now you get to throw into the mix that shortly after Ben Sennett turned into Rob Gronkowski for K-State. So it's significant there. And hopefully the K-State pass blocking can hold up. We know Cooper Beebe is going to do a fantastic job. And in some of these games, they have gotten good performances from guys that have struggled in pass protection. I mean, Hayden Gillum and Hadley Panzer in the middle – they have struggled at times when it comes to protecting for the pass. All five of the offensive linemen have been really good blocking for the run. That's why K-State's had so much success at times with running the football this season. And, I mean, you'll remember Deuce Vaughn broke off a big one against TCU, so that's something that K-State can go ahead and utilize. But they have to make sure, I think, for, for to give themselves the best chance possible, they are going to have to go out there and have a really strong game in protecting the passer. Now, I started this by talking about the K-State defense. How does this apply to them? Well, it's because they did a good job of pressuring Max Duggan in that game. They ended up with four sacks, and now one of them was a little bit later on. But still, four sacks in that game against TCU. It's one of K-State's higher outputs this season is when it comes down to getting to the quarterback and making plays like that. I think that's a really significant thing to kind of keep in mind and watch for. And the key to this, though, is going to be making sure that they can get the pressure on Max Duggan without sending the extra men or, you know, leaving somebody exposed in a, in a one-on-one situation and there's no help from a safety or whoever it could be, because that's what got them in trouble against TCU the first time around. Max Duggan struggled when he was under pressure, but when the pressure came from a blitz, he was actually really good because he, he obviously is confident in what he can do, but he knows that he's got the talent there where Quentin Johnson could be able to go and make a play for him if he's got single coverage and he's not having to worry about, you know, the the safety moving around and doing something because he's pushing up or however it's going to work out. Duggan was not afraid of the K-State blitz. He was able to take care of it. But it was when it was one of those organic pass rushes where, and this is where it helps that Felix and DK Uzama full or closer to health uh, than what I think he was in that game against TCU is maybe you're going to have a better job of, of getting some things done there. Brendan Mott is playing uh, even better now than he was then. And so you just hope that with this time and, and everything that K-State has learned since that game, they are going to have better opportunities to be able to get after Max Duggan. And, and so I think that's a significant thing to kind of keep an eye on as we, uh, as we roll through and, and get ready for this game on Saturday is how K-State can get their pressure but not doing it by bringing extra men and, and leaving some – uh, defensive backs exposed or just you know in, in tough positions in general because 
that's just not something that you want to do to them. Uh, another thing that I touched on that I think is important and, and started thinking about was what hurt K-State the first time around. I talked about this basically at the start, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago or whatever. But if you think about what happened in that game with K-State and TCU, um, I mentioned that TCU gets a touchdown right before the end of the first half. So that's a little bit of a gut, gut punch, but K-State still had an 11-point lead going into the break, 28-17. to 17. You had that feeling where it's like, oh my gosh, this, this is good. They've got a chance. They're in it, whatever. But you also have that sneaking suspicion in the back of your head that something could go wrong here. Something, something not so great could happen still. There's a lot of game left. There's 30 minutes of action, and TCU proved that. I mean, they came out, they got the touchdown, uh, right after right, right after the break, and they immediately shrunk the lead down. And from that point, you're in a dogfight, and you're having to kind of figure you know things out for yourself and, and how it's going to ultimately work. And for K-State, they just weren't able to uh, get anything to go their way in that second half, and, and they ultimately struggled and, and lost the football game. So I bring this up because it's important for K-State in the situation that they are going to be in to go out and – the, the term that gets used in the, in the phrasing of it now is, is winning the middle eight. And basically the theory between winning the middle eight, if you have not heard of it or you need a refresher on it, is the last four minutes of the second half or the first half, the first four minutes of the second half is if you can win that time period in the game, um, basically 75% of the time your team goes on to win the game. That's the theory behind it. Obviously, K-State loses the middle eight against TCU. Uh, because they ended up giving up 14 points uh, essentially in that time period and, and how it ends up working out. And K-State's going to have to make sure that they don't give that extra possession or if they are the ones to get it, take advantage of it this time around. So this is why if you go back and, and you think about what happened uh, in the game against TCU, TCU turns the ball over on downs with K-State up 28-10. to K-State gets the ball with five minutes left in the first half. First play, Will Howard, no gain to, to Malik Knowles. Then no gain on a Will Howard run. And then third and 10, one yard on a run. And K-State punts with three and a half minutes left in the half. With TCU's big play potential, the possibility of them going down to score was going to be a possibility. And they were pinned back there deep. They were, they were at the TCU nine when they started the drive with 320 to play. Kendra Miller ripped off a big run, and ultimately, uh, with 20 seconds left, Max Duggan was able to throw a touchdown pass, and that kind of started to, to send the momentum in the way of TCU. So that's going to be an important thing in what I refer to as stealing possessions for K-State. Like, make sure that you either don't give that extra possession to TCU, so if K-State has it at the end of the first half, um, and you're not going to get the ball to start, it's probably wise to try and find some way to manipulate the clock and make sure that TCU doesn't have that chance to strike before halftime, or it becomes even more crucial if TCU is going to get the ball to start the second half. And that's going to be something interesting to watch is because we know that Chris Kleiman has been aggressive at times this year, having K-State take the ball first in games, and it's worked out to their advantage in a lot of situations. Oddly enough, it feels like it's only ever worked out, though, when it's been K-State's decision to start with the ball first. Um, they lucked out last week against Kansas when – they go three and out. The punt gets muffed, and they score on the very next play. That was a lucky break, but Kansas won that kick or won that toss and decided to kick the K-State. So it's going to be something to keep an eye on this weekend as well. Another thing that it comes down to when uh, K-State needs to win extra possessions in this game 
is they lost the turnover battle in Fort Worth. They threw two interceptions in that game. One of them was from Jake Rubley. The other one from Will Howard late in the game. K-State's down double digits. He's having to press. I don't fault him for that one. Um, that one, you know, is what it is. It makes the numbers look worse there in that situ- situation. But K-State didn't force a single turnover in that game. And that's odd because they have been the best at forcing turnovers in the Big 12 this season. And so K-State is going to have to hopefully be in the position to make some plays and and get some action on TCU in in whatever way it is, whether they can get Julius Brents a pick or somebody forces a fumble. Finding a way to turn TCU over this time is going to play a significant role in this game this weekend because it didn't happen, and it's unfortunate K-State only had two other games this season where they didn't force a turnover. Uh, Those were the games against Iowa State and Oklahoma. Um, Outside of that, they were able to get turnovers in in every other circumstance. So they were able to do just fine. I mean, they went 2-1 and in games where they didn't force turnovers this year. But the competition level is different. I mean, that was a 4-8 and team and a 6-6 and team that they didn't – uh, force a turnover from versus a team that's now 12 and 0 and it very easily could have been the difference I mean if you go and look at, at some of the situations that played out K-State right before they threw an interception TCU had a four play drive that ended up with a touchdown in that situation if you're on your heels you just missed that kick and you can go get a big play that shifts the momentum and the game feels differently there and it, it redistributes how uh, the game flow is going to be and how the possessions are going to work out so I think it's important and again I I lay this out in the piece. I know everybody says you got to win the turnover battle because it is important. It's really stupid to, you know, give extra possessions to your opponent and let them score and then you you not take advantage of extra possessions or get any yourselves. But I do think it's it's important to say and an important thing to watch for because K-State has been so good at it this year. The fact that they weren't able to do it the first time around against TCU is significant to me. So we'll ultimately have to see how this whole thing ends up shaking out and, and what the next step ends up being. But uh, I, I do feel good about K-State where they're at. The defense has its struggles, but they have figured things out. Once they get into the flow and they communicate better, they've worked it out. Now that they've been in this position where they've played a handful of games without um, without some of their key cogs, then it I do think now they should have the familiarity of going into battle without a Kobe Savage, a sincere Mason or whoever. And hopefully the communication level is on a little bit of a higher level at the very start of the game than what it is by the time, you know, we've been seeing it in where they improve quite a bit. And Chris Kleiman talked about it this week. He just says it's tough this time of year to simulate game speed and practice. And so until you actually get into that situation, it's just tough for those guys to, to fully be able to, to understand how to communicate, how to make things happen, and, and it takes a feeling out process. It just isn't a game, though, that K-State is going to have the opportunity to feel things out. So we'll see ultimately how it ends up going. But those are a couple things that I think are, are important to keep an eye on and watch for this week and, and see what direction things move in as well. Uh, as for some other news and notes around the team right now, K-State probably in their, their best situation health-wise that they've been in some time. Um, obviously, we, we know about the guys that had the season-ending injuries, and so they won't be available. Chris Kleiman tried to hint that Adrian Martinez might be available for the game on Saturday. Um, they were supposed to make that decision yesterday or at least get a good idea on it. I would tend to believe that he's not going to be seen out there. I mean, he still had the boot on last week. Didn't seem like he was maybe walking the best, but also like those boots can kind of restrict the way you walk normal. So uh, I don't know that we can read too much into that. 
Um, this certainly seems like something that might be more of a Chris Kleiman, like, well, you know, we'll see. I, I think he would hope that Adrian Martinez would be available and they could put him out there for a little bit uh, in special packages or find a way to utilize his skill set. Um, but it does seem more like a gamesmanship type thing and just at least throwing it into the back of TCU's head that they need to think about this and, and, and just be prepared uh, if that circumstance were to arrive. So we'll see what happens. It'll be uh, something certainly interesting to watch for uh, the, like the pregame uh, on Saturday if you're down there checking it out. Uh, one other thing that I would throw out there real quick is if you're not going to be in Arlington, but it sounds like a lot of people are going to be there, uh, and you're you're staying in Kansas and you're in the area, you should get your butt to Bramlage Coliseum on Saturday night, eight o'clock for K State's game with Wichita State. You got to be there. Uh, look uh, again, taking off my my journalist hat and putting on my alumni hat. Uh, we can't let Wichita State come into Bramlage and get a win. That would be detrimental to uh, my emotions. So everybody, get to Bramlage if you're not going to be in Arlington on Saturday. All right, back to uh, me doing what I get paid for and talking about the cats and, and trying to be semi-neutral, but, you know, it can be a little bit homerish. A uh, couple of just odd notes that I, I wanted to point out about the Big 12 championship game. So as everybody knows, K-State playing TCU for a second time this year. Uh, every year since 2017, this is how it has worked in the Big 12 since the title game got brought back. What people may be interested in knowing is, okay, with the rematches, how many times has that happened? And how many times has the team that won the regular season matchup won the championship game? This happened 11 times. The regular season winner is 6-5 and five in those games. K-State coincidentally did play in one of those rematch games in 2000. They lost to Oklahoma 27-24 in the championship game after losing to Oklahoma 41-31 in the regular season. Uh, other teams to be able to do that, that where they won both, so this would be in favor of TCU, these numbers. Oklahoma beat Colorado in 2002. Uh, they did it twice, uh, dominated them both times, beat them even worse the second time around. This is my favorite. This was right before like I, I had the recollection and the full understanding of sports. Like My sports memory kind of kicks off around 2006, 2007, so like the first Super Bowl I remember watching is like Bears-Colts, uh, Super Bowl 41 with with Manning and, and, and everything. And the final four that year between Ohio State and Florida and, and all that and whatever. So this was just before I would have kind of locked on and locked into everything. Um, that 2005 Texas team beat Tech, uh, beat Colorado 70 to three in the championship game. I mean, that's outrageous. 70 to three. They had beaten Colorado already that year, 42 to 17. Um, Oklahoma has done it a handful of times. And actually Oklahoma and Texas are the only two teams uh, to double up and be able to pull off the two and O in the regular season against teams games in which the team that lost the regular season meeting won the championship game, not 1999 Nebraska beats Texas 22 to six after Texas won 24 to 20 in the regular season. 2001, Colorado beat Texas 39-37 after Texas won 41-7 in the regular season. Uh, and then you have to go a ways because there was a stretch there where we had some, some teams in a row that were able to do it. Uh, 2018, Oklahoma beat Texas after Texas. Uh, Cameron Dicker kicked that game-winning field goal, 48-45. Uh, and then 2020, Oklahoma beats Iowa State after Iowa State won the regular season matchup. And then last season, uh, Baylor beat Oklahoma State 21-16 to after the Cowboys won 
to 14 in the regular season. The other note that I would point out, uh, meaning that somebody's probably due, a team that was a member of the original Big 12 North has not won a conference championship in the Big 12 since K-State in 2003. Um, ever since then, it has either been won by a Big 12 South team or a newcomer to the league. So that's just something to, uh, to, to keep into mind and, and watch out for because the Cats are trying to do it again uh, to see if they can win a Big 12 championship game for the North, which has not been done in some time. So we'll, we'll ultimately see how it goes there. And I actually I haven't I didn't pay attention well enough in this, but it's highly likely, I think, that K-State is just flat out the last team from the North to win one period in 2012 as well. So just something to uh, kind of keep in the back of your head as we uh, – think about where everything is ultimately going to go. A couple of other things to uh, close out before I give my prediction and a couple of other thoughts on this game. Yesterday, we got the Big 12 teams that were released. It was uh, a big day for K-State as they were able to rack up the honors. Uh, K-State had the second most, uh, or K-State now has the second most individual awards in uh, Big 12 history at 37. That trails just Oklahoma, who has 48. It's five ahead of Texas. So shout out to the Wildcats and what they were able to do. Max Duggan of TCU wins Offensive Player of the Year. Mentioned it earlier. Well-deserved. Felix Anyadike Uzama does win Defensive Player of the Year. I'm sure some people were maybe thinking that wasn't going to happen this year. The sack numbers dropped a little bit. He still led the conference in sacks. He makes a ton of plays for K-State and probably would, would make more if he doesn't get held so often. So uh, obviously the, the Big 12 coaches felt that he was worthy of that honor. Um, and and I, I don't know that you could have, you know, you can fault it too much. If you're a Texas fan, obviously you think that, you know, this this election was stolen from you, blah, 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 whatever. Um, it is what it is. Uh, other notes, Cooper Beebe wins Offensive Lineman of the Year for K-State. And then by way of uh, the way things work, Felix Anyadk Usama also wins Defensive Lineman of the Year. So um, they have specific awards for those guys because sometimes uh, they, they will get overlooked. Obviously not this year, though, uh, with how things worked out. K-State places a handful of guys on the first team for the Big 12. Ben Sennett gets first team fullback. Um, he's turned into more of just a tight end, but – Pretty much K-State always gets the fullback spot, so shout-out to Ben Sennett, well-deserving of first uh, first team. Cooper Beebe also making the list of first-teamers on the offensive line. TCU, this is notable. The Horned Frogs end up with seven guys on the Big 12 first team, including two offensive linemen uh, and then their kicker and their kick returner and punt returner, Darius Davis. So just another little something to, to kind of keep in mind. Defensively for K-State, Felix Anyadike Yuzama on the first team, as well as Julius Brents. Uh, so a lot of coaches that realize Julius Brents' greatness this season. Now for the second team, K-State got Deuce Vaughn on there. Uh, that was notable. Malik Knowles got second team. And I, I thought for Malik Knowles, that's a really good credit to his career. He's been through a lot at K-State, some ups and downs, and being jostled around with everything. And he was rewarded this year, uh, I think, by the way that this offense now serves the receivers better. I've mentioned it before how I think this is going to be a positive moving forward for K-State with Colin Klein as the offensive coordinator. But the fact that uh, Malik Knowles was able to showcase that he, he could be a second team and you know all Big 12 performer uh, in this offense and at K-State is significant. And uh, it, it's probably good for him to uh, get that honor 
Other guys that made the teams, uh, Kobe Savage in his first year, he gets all Big 12 second team as a safety. Um, he ha obviously had to miss the last two games of the season, but he, he played a big role. People noticed him on the field a lot, and he flew around and made plays. And then Ty Zentner also makes it as the uh, second team punter in the Big 12 this year. Now, let's dive in the discussion that has ripped apart Twitter, divided the state of Kansas yet again for the second week in a row. That would be the fact that Jalen Daniels, the quarterback at Kansas, was selected to the All-Big 12 second team. An interesting decision, if you ask somebody like me. Um, look, I, I get it. He tore apart Tennessee Tech, Duke, and Houston in the early going of the season. But he didn't do a whole lot in Big 12 play. And if you go and compare the numbers, uh, both Will Howard and Adrian Martinez had better numbers in Big 12 play than Jalen Daniels this season. Uh, here were Will Howard's numbers, who I thought had a realistic chance at being the second-team quarterback because, like I said earlier, everybody in the league had their quarterback miss time this season except for TCU and Iowa State. And we knew Duggan would be first team. We knew Hunter Deckers was not even going to sniff this list. So it was going to be about who, who was going to slide in there, who was going to get that nod. And ultimately – it ended up being Jalen Daniels somehow. Um, before I dive into those numbers, I'm, I'm, you know, they're still there. I'm still going to get to them. The assumption that Dylan Gabriel probably should have won second team quarterback is correct. I, I mean, he did play in a majority of games. He only missed like one or two, um, and, and it was easy to see just how dysfunctional Oklahoma was without him. So, yes, he probably should have had it. But the fact that Jalen Daniels is on there, let's compare. Uh, guys that seem to be in similar posi positions to him. All right, so Will Howard, 83 of 132 for over 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns, two interceptions, two rushing touchdowns, and he went 4-1 uh, and one at, in the games that he played in for K-State this year. Jalen Daniels, 67 of 111 for just under 800 yards, so 799, five touchdowns, one interception, two rushing touchdowns, and he did run for 163 yards. So I, I put rushing numbers in there because I thought maybe that would be significant. I know Jalen Daniels runs well. He didn't really run all that much in conference play for Kansas to make a difference. Uh, the Jayhawks were also two and three in games that Jalen Daniels started or played in in Big 12 play. All right, so I did that, and at first I was like, okay, come on. Like, we have an argument here for Will Howard and why that would make more sense. And then I got to thinking about it. I was like, you know, Adrian Martinez might have similar numbers too. And so I, I decided to go and take a look in the six games that Adrian Martinez played in in Big 12 play. He was 77 of 118 for 957 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, eight rushing touchdowns, 465 yards rushing, and he was 4-2 and two in games that he played in in Big 12 play for K-State. So I rest my case. I get it. It's it's a full season award, but we're lying to ourselves if we think Jalen Daniels is better and honestly more deserving than either Will Howard or Adrian Martinez. I get it. They both played limited time, but at the end of the day, you look at it. Adrian Martinez ended up playing in nine games for K-State still this season. Um, so he ends up missing the Oklahoma State game and he misses the West Virginia and Kansas games. But he appeared in nine other games for K-State this year and was really good. So it would have been a surprise. I would not have expected Adrian Martinez to win second team, but I certainly think that uh, if we're being realistic and honest with ourselves about this, it just makes more sense that 
Howard or Martinez should have gotten it over Jalen Daniels. And again, I will side with uh, D. Lou was the first one to point it out to me on Twitter that Dylan Gabriel deserved it from Oklahoma. He should have been the second team quarterback. He was newcomer of the year in the league. He definitely uh, should have made that list. So just something to uh, keep in mind there. Uh, a couple of other guys that I think got snubbed by for for K State this year on the big, All Big Twelve list. Eli Huggins should have been on there. Pretty much every single opposing coach in the Big 12 raved about Eli Huggins at some point this season. So that feels a little bit disrespectful. He should have been on there. And then Austin Moore and Daniel Green both probably should have gotten nods uh, in how this worked out. Now, for K-State, they did have some guys that got mentioned uh, in some categories. So Phillip Brooks uh, got a vote for Special Teams Player of the Year. DJ Giddens got a vote for uh, Offensive Freshman of the Year. And then uh, you look around, uh, Adrian Martinez got votes for Offensive Newcomer of the Year. Kobe Savage got votes for Defensive Newcomer of the Year. And Deuce Vaughn got votes for Offensive Player of the Year. So those guys did get some looks and some mentions. Um, And then other guys with honorable mentions, Huggins, Green, uh, and then uh, Moore as well. And then also Hayden Gillum, KT Leviston also got some mentions as well as Echo Boyda. So there were people around the league that felt like K-State had a lot of guys that were deserving of spots. Ultimately, they just didn't get enough votes, but um, I, I don't know. I, I, K-State can't be too upset with how it played out, but they definitely do have a gripe, and they have a lot of guys that I feel like uh, put together better seasons than certain guys uh, that, that ended up being out there. But I don't know. We'll ultimately have to uh, wait and see how this thing goes down and, and if K-State can just kind of get past this. And If they went on Saturday, who cares about the all-Big 12 teams? That's more so for us to keep fighting with people about on Twitter and social media and everything. So we'll take a look, uh, you know, probably come Sunday and and how that all ends up going down. All right, let's, uh, let's close up shop here. I've been rambling by myself for a long, long time. Uh, It's tough to just ramble by yourself uh, for, you know, however many minutes or hours straight uh, when there's not like commercial breaks that pop in here, like there were on radio. I'm not going to lie to you. That was still brutal when you have to do a radio show by yourself at times, Uh, but K-State, TCU, the Cats are dogs this weekend. It makes sense uh, because they're playing the team that has a chance to get into the playoff. I mentioned everything that I think K-State's going to have to do to play a significant role and find a way to win this game. There are a lot of things that are are going to come down to um, areas where they stay clean, so defensively. Can they limit big plays by TCU? That's something that is... I think so significant from the first time these teams played where K-State didn't have great defensive numbers that first game against TCU, but I didn't think the defense was terrible in that game. They just had too many big plays that, that popped on them and, and they broke down and uh, it seemed like, you know, they would get a stop. So it's sec- it's second and eight and then TCU gets two yards. It's third and six. And so it's like, all right, third and six chance for a stop here. Boom. There goes Kendra Miller. Uh, boom, there goes a big pass play to Quentin Johnson, whoever it is. So I think it's important for K-State just to limit the big play. Similar to that drive in the second half that Kansas had this past weekend where K-State kind of has control of the game, but KU still has a shot. They're moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball. Even though K-State still gave up a touchdown on the drive, KU went 16 plays in over eight minutes. If you can do that in this game, that's going to give K-State a chance for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you let a team kill the clock, whatever, fine. That 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 plays out to K-State. They can play any style. I, I feel comfortable in saying that. 
But the bigger point of it is, and I've always said this, um, this is just a, a personal philosophy of mine, the more plays you can get a team to run, the more chances you have for something bad to happen. Like, that's something that K-State maybe missed out on uh, the first time. TCU, in their game against K-State the first time around, they only ended up with two drives that went more than 10 plays. Um, both of those did result in touchdowns against K-State, but the one to start the second half took almost seven minutes off the clock. And at that point, like eating the clock is K-State's friend. If you have all of your personnel working in the right situation and you can stay healthy and you're able to keep doing things yourself, like you're okay with seeing the clock shrink down like they did on Saturday against Kansas. So I think that's a big thing to watch for. Is K-State's defense going to be able to put things together in, in a timely manner? Um, we shall see what Joe Klanderman's defense has in mind. Offensively for K-State, they, they, they played great offensively against TCU the first time around. Unfortunately, things just didn't go their way with injuries and, and the missed kicks and everything in the second half. Um, I, I just think that they're going to have to find whatever is working in this game. And whether that's, you know, they can get it on the ground again with, a, with Deuce Vaughn, that's awesome. Or if Will Howard can still sling it through the air on him, that's great as well. But K-State, I thought last week, was a really impressive performance for them on offense because in the first half, we know that KU is bad against the run. And K-State still came out there, was able to throw the ball on them. And ultimately then, at that point, KU was so focused on the pass, K-State came out, only threw the ball three times in the second half, and Deuce Vaughn was able to run wild and go for uh, right around 150 yards. So K-State's offense is in a really good spot right now. It feels like over the last couple of weeks, we're starting to see Deuce Vaughn get used in every area of the game uh it also helps that dj giddens has continued to grow and do great things for him that the k-state offense is in a really good spot and, and they're better right now than they were than the team that had a 28 to 10 lead on tcu and fort worth back in october so we'll see how it goes down uh, i don't remember my exact score prediction that i gave to uh scott wildcat from the bosco's boys earlier this week um i think i did something weird like 33 to 31 so what I'm going to do again, I'm going to take the Cats 33-31 to 31 because, uh, like I said, I, I thought coming out of some of these games that if I saw shaky defense, I just would say there's no way, I can't do it. But, again, like I said earlier, I, I, there are times where I can take off the, the semi-journalist hat and just say, screw it, I am a homer. I graduated from Kansas State University. I grew up my entire life watching the Cats. Both of my parents went there, and – I am not ashamed or fearful to say that I want to see Kansas State win the game on Saturday. I hope they do it. I think they can do it, and so I might as well pick the Cats. So I'm taking a wonky score, 33-31, uh, and, and we'll see if the Wildcats can ultimately pull off the victory and get their third Big 12 championship ever, and also that would be uh, kind of poetic. For 10 years after Colin Klein led K-State to a Big 12 championship, that he's able to come in as the offensive coordinator in his first year and get the job done as well. So a lot to look forward to. Hope everybody drives safely down to Arlington. Uh, also be ready uh, if you're going to be out at college game day on Saturday as that will be in town for the Big 12 championship. Should be an exciting time. Going to be a great venue. And the good news is K-State knows how to get down there since they've had to go to the DFW area a handful of times over the last couple of seasons. So that'll do it for me. Uh, find all of our pregame coverage over on Rivals at EMA Online. If you're old school and you just want to type in kansasstate.rivals.com, that will take you to the page. And if you're not signed up, 
you might as well do it right now because it's a great time. There's going to be a lot of coverage, obviously, with the Big 12 title game Saturday, and then we'll be ready. Basketball coverage that night as well as the Cats take on the Shockers. So we'll hope it's a big K-State weekend. I'm out.